From pediatrics to geriatrics, Maine Medical Center is centered around you. Welcome to MMC Radio, your trusted source for healthcare news and tips. Here's Melanie Cole. Seven out of 10 Americans say they would prefer to die at home, yet nearly 70% of Americans die in a hospital, nursing home, or long-term care facility. The care that someone receives at the end of their life can be greatly impacted by planning ahead and having those difficult discussions with family members before it's too late. My guest today is Dr. Michael Roy. He's the chief of medicine at Maine Medical Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Roy. So I would like to start with when we're speaking of end of life care, there are different types of treatments that go on. There's palliative and hospice. Please explain the difference to the listeners of those two types of cares that their loved ones might receive. Sure, I'm happy to do so. It's really a continuum. Um, Palliative care really should begin actually well before the hospice benefit is invoked. Um, Medicare offers um, funding to support hospice care uh, for those at the end of life, uh, but palliative care is really meant to address symptoms and does not exclude, you know, the administration of other disease-directed care. Uh, when one reaches a point, however, when one uh, is near death, um, hospice care then becomes very appropriate, and it's a combination of palliative care, spiritual care, um, all sorts of uh, support for the family and the patient that can occur either in a hospice uh, per se or could occur in the home um, with visiting nurses and that sort of thing. How do you begin the discussion? It is everybody's biggest concern is how do you ask your loved one what they would like? And and. If people are someone who doesn't like to talk about that sort of thing, how does that discussion begin? Well, I think it's different for everyone. I think um, there comes a time in everyone's life where it becomes really, really important and really imminent. Uh, but really, for most of us, this is something that should be addressed well before that point. Um, I'm actually a big fan fan of the uh, Conversation Project which is a project that was started by people like Ellen Goodman from the Boston Globe and Tool Gawande and others um, who uh, really feel that patients uh, and families need to be conversation ready. And they actually have this really neat uh, toolkit that they offer online for people to download to begin sort of a structured approach to preparing for these conversations. And I think that's a great thing to do. Um, the other side of it is uh, the physician uh, having the information they have about the patient's status medically, um, answering something like the surprise question, which is, would you be surprised if this patient was dead in one year? If you answer no to that question, then you need to start thinking about addressing these issues and sitting down with your patient. Fortunately, uh, Medicare has just announced that they will start paying for these uh, conversations to occur. They will be paying for these uh, appointments with doctors so that these kind of conversations can take place. If your loved one is suffering from some sort of dementia, and that's not something that you can actually discuss with them, how do you make these decisions on your own and what kinds of decisions is it, Dr. Roy, that you want these loved ones to make? Are we looking at types of funerals? Do you look at how they, where they want to be? What are those decisions to be made? 
Mm. You know, a lot of that is based on kind of your long-standing relationship with that person. I mean, ideally, again, these conversations should happen well before something like dementia intervenes. Uh, that's what we keep saying over and over again. We need to push these conversations further and further upstream, if you will. Um, having said that, we know that there are many times when uh, illnesses like dementia or other uh, catastrophic illnesses intervene, and uh, those conversations are not then possible. Um, if nothing has been explicitly um, discussed in the past, then I think the um, person who has power of attorney in consultation with other family members and, and physicians and perhaps clergy and others um, might want to just think about what would be best, what would my loved one want in this circumstance. And it's called substituted judgment. You just kind of um, make your best judgment as to what that would be. As far as comfort for your loved one, what would you like to see people make those decisions about where their loved one would be and also affordability? Because is it less expensive to care for your loved one at home? Is the stress and responsibility too much to bear? How does that all play? Well, there certainly is a lot of stress, a lot of responsibility. Um, so my uh, touchstone for this was my mom's experience. My mom died of pancreatic cancer about three and a half years ago. Uh, she had actually been a nurse all her life and for part of her career had worked as a visiting nurse and had done home hospice. And she knew exactly what she wanted. I was very lucky in this regard. But even so, I saw that, you know, arranging for resources to come into the home, getting a hospital bed, all that sort of thing really uh, did take considerable time, effort, and my parents were blessed with good insurance, so um, we didn't have to worry too, too much about that. Um, we uh, generally uh, encourage uh, people to, you know, take on these responsibilities as they, as they can. Um, we don't want anybody to feel overwhelmed by this. Uh, we try to um, arrange for outside help from visiting nurses, from home hospice, that sort of thing. Um, but oftentimes, um, patients can't handle these things, and that's where other options like uh, formal hospice setting uh, can come into play. Unfortunately, um, the decision to use hospice uh, to invoke the Medicare hospice benefit often comes way too late in the patient's uh, course, and in the meantime, a lot of uh, turmoil and, and struggling and financial hardship can ensue until uh, that decision is made and the patient is placed in hospice. At that point, um, the Medicare hospice benefit, uh, for those that qualify for Medicare, of course, uh, uh, covers the care and uh, will cover the care until their death. What about, what would you like, Dr. Roy, to tell the listeners about advanced directives, do not resuscitate, health care, someone who's in charge of your health care. What do you want people to know about this and what they should do to plan in advance for this? Right. So if you're healthy and um, have no medical illnesses or very few or you know mild problems, minimal problems, you should at a minimum have an advanced directive because you don't know what will happen um, traveling or you know, some accident of some kind, you, you'll want to have 
uh, some sort of document in place. And you need to make sure that when you, and this applies to all these documents, you need to make sure that these documents are in the possession, copies of them are in the possession of your your doctor, uh, perhaps your attorney, uh, your clergy, um, perhaps even a neighbor, um, so that uh, people have that information in hand if you're not able to provide um, your own perspectives on what you want. Um, there are other documents that we um, uh, like to make people aware of. One of them in particular is called a POLST form. POLST is a national uh, movement. Uh, it's actually recognized in most states. POLST stands for Physician Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. In some states, it's called most, most, but here in Maine, we call it POLST. Um, and uh, this is a document that's much more detailed than advanced directive and is meant for those who are uh, more seriously ill, have more advanced illness. And in answer to that surprise question I mentioned, uh, the answer would be no. And uh, so if someone who's in their last year of life or thereabouts um, ought to consider doing one of these POLST forms. And again, uh, making sure that it's uh, in the possession of others that uh, would need to have that information in hand. And as a matter of fact, it's something that uh, is often advised that it be taped to the refrigerator door. In Maine here, it's a bright lime green form so that EMTs coming into a home would recognize it and would respect and honor those wishes as expressed in the post form. It's something that you fill out uh, with a healthcare professional, but it's got to be signed by a physician. Wow, that is great information, Dr. Roy, in just the last few minutes. Please give your best advice for people who are facing with a loved one this end-of-life care, all of these decisions, and what you really want them to know. What I would really like people to know is that help is available, um, that our medical system has not done a great job of trying to address these conversations in the past, but we're getting better that we have to do better at honoring the wishes that people express when these conversations are held. And it's our expressed desire here at Maine Medical Center and at Maine Health to do just that. Um, but it's important to have the conversation first. And not only that, but to perhaps revisit the decisions that were made periodically, particularly after perhaps a life-changing diagnosis is received or some event occurs uh, it's a dynamic process and one that needs to be revisited on a uh, somewhat regular basis. Thank you so much. You're listening to MMC Radio. For more information, you can go to mainmedicalcenter.org. That's mainmedicalcenter.org, mmc.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.